from the letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members to one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay any evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? We're going to pray like pumpkins. I always pray this way. I like your message. So let's be pumpkins. Let's pray. Almighty God, you have gathered us into your house this morning, and we give you thanks. We give you thanks for welcoming us into a space of worship, a space where you are present, a space where we're invited to slow down and to put the things of the week aside so that we can be present with you. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would sweep through, that it would soften our hearts, that it would open our ears, that your word would challenge us 
encourage us, build us up, and draw us closer into relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his holy name. Amen. So not long after starting seminary, I was with a party with friends from high school. And they hadn't seen me in probably a year or so. I had been living abroad. And as you do in most gatherings like this, we catch up with one another. How are you doing? What's new? What are you up to now? The usual questions. And I explained to my friend Ryan that I was now at Princeton Theological Seminary for Graduate Studies. And I explained what seminary is and what I might be interested in, do in doing afterwards. And he was very surprised. He hadn't known that I had been a faithful church attendee growing up. And truthfully, I imagine our memories from high school and college probably didn't help this information assimilate any easier. I can say that because my mom doesn't come here. A pastor? Working for God? And like any good Catholic, Ryan said, whoa, whoa, I kind of feel uncomfortable, like I need to confess or something. <laughs> but the truth was, I was uncomfortable too. I wanted my friends to know that I was still cool, and I've learned since then, if you have to say you're cool, you're probably not cool, right? Still someone that they could be around. I was not a holy roller or a Bible thumper. I'm not going to yell from the street corners for them to repent. And I'm definitely not planning on setting up any confessional booths at our parties. So I was quick to respond to him, don't be uncomfortable. It's me, the same Leah you've known for years. I haven't changed. To which he replied, then what's the point? His question stayed with me for the last 13 years. What's the point? He's not wrong. How can Jesus save your life and yet not change it? I dare you to be different. That's how the Apostle Paul begins chapter 12 of Romans. Based on everything God has done for you, God's created you and loved you, given God's own son for you. In response to all of that, Paul writes, I urge you to be different from the rest of the world. I dare you to let this relationship with Jesus change you. The Greek word for be transformed is the word that we use to describe the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly. Now think for a moment about the life of that little bug. Munching on leaves, crawling on land, it's all they know. And then they wrap themselves up in their bedding. They're completely secure and they go to sleep for a little while. And when they wake up, they break free of that bedding, and they are a completely new creature with a sleek body and silky wings. No more crawling, now they're soaring. That is a transformation. Now I wonder though, do any of the caterpillars say, no thanks, I'm good here on the ground, this is fine. Or I love it in this warm, secure cocoon. Or me fly? 
that's a fantasy. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. Caterpillars know transformation is an undeniable part of their life. So it should be with us as we continue to walk with Jesus. Now Paul explains the first step of this change happens through renewing our mind. Everything begins with our thoughts. The mind, you could say, is the steering wheel of our lives. What you think will determine what you do and who you are. So allow Jesus to give you his perspective on life, to see the world through his eyes, with his mind, with his heart. How do we do this, though? How do we begin to transform our minds? According to Hebrews, we look to God's word. In chapter 4, verse 12, we read this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The scriptures are not a dead document, but a living, powerful, double-edged blade that slits the invisible division between soul and spirit. It penetrates into places where no medical doctor can reach to bring cleansing and healing and new understanding. Friends, you don't merely read scripture, it reads you. When you study the Bible, it studies and examines you. It exposes the thoughts and the attitudes in our hearts so that God can transform them. The transformation comes when we listen for God's voice in Scripture and when we look at our lives through God's eyes. So don't let your Bible sit like a trophy on the shelf. Use it every day. Let God transform your thoughts through God's Word. What happens next? Well, you'll discover that you're willing to reshape and restructure your life according to God's grace. Pretty quickly, you'll discover everything we do, everything we say, everything we see, everywhere we go, everything we touch and taste and earn and make becomes a way to honor and serve and worship the one who saves us. So in response to God's grace, we transform our minds, which in turn can transform our church. Paul continues his letter to the early church. He says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. We all need each other. Here's the problem. When we overestimate ourselves, we start to think that we don't need each other's ministry. Paul calls out what's behind this way of thinking. He says it's arrogance. So I heard that there's a bit of a baseball game series going on right now. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, no? Same. I've never heard of the guys. But now imagine if the Diamondbacks pitcher says to his team for the next game, is it today? No, tomorrow? Okay, great. Imagine tomorrow he says to the team, you guys take the day off. You did well last time. 
I've got this. We would say that's extremely arrogant of you, right? We get that. Because even the most talented teammate needs what others on the team can do. And so do we. We need the ministry of others. What does this look like? Paul goes on. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Paul says we all have gifts. And he lists these two broad categories. There's speaking gifts, like prophesying and teaching and encouraging. And then there's serving gifts, like serving and contributing and leading and showing mercy. The Holy Spirit empowers each of us in such a way that we're able to use those gifts to strengthen this church and help it flourish. We all have a role. Every one of us is needed. I like how psychologist Ed Welch puts it in his book, Side by Side. He says this, We were meant to walk side by side, an interdependent body of weak people. God is pleased to grow and change us through the help of people who have been recreated in Christ and empowered by the Spirit. That is how life in the church works. In other words, we need you. We need what God has prepared you to do in this church. We need what God has put you here to do. And you also need us. You need one another. We need to serve each other and allow ourselves to be served by one another. We need to encourage each other and allow ourselves to be encouraged. We need to help one another grow and to show mercy to each other, just as we need that from another person as well. That's more than what can happen in an hour on Sunday morning. This is a way of life. This is living in community, and it will transform our community. Welch goes on to explain this is the way the church moves forward, through mutual love and care. Such expressions of love was less obvious in the Old Testament when people relied on kings and leaders and prophets, but when the Spirit was given at Pentecost, everything changed. Suddenly, ordinary people had extraordinary impact. Serving is one thing. Loving is a whole other thing. Paul explains this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who are mourning. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. 
Here's what Paul says church life looks like. Genuine love, humble love in action. Treating each other like family, the ones you like, not the family you don't talk to. Well, that's another sermon. <laughs> Outdoing each other and showing honor. This looks like learning one another's names and praying for each other. Contributing to each other's needs and inviting one another into our homes. It means identifying with each other's joys and our sorrows. It means we never look down on another person in this church. We never think more highly of ourselves than anyone else in this church. It looks like seeking harmony with one another. No matter where our stance is on a certain topic, we seek out peace. If we get this right, we will see a church transformed. One theologian says that churches are actually practice fields for living this covenant of love. We practice living a transformed life within this community so that we're able to go outside of this community and live in such a way that shows that we are transformed so that we can transform the world as well. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. The biggest criticism I hear about Christians is that we are hypocrites, that we don't practice what we preach, that we don't walk the talk. There should be something different. There should be something noticeable in each of us because of our relationship with Jesus. A life transformed by grace transforms the world because it's seasoned differently. It tastes different than what the world serves up. A life transformed by Jesus' light lights up the world in such a way that puts a spotlight not back on us, but on God, so that others can come to know God too. Paul gives us more examples of what this salty and shiny new life could look like. He says, bless and do not curse. Do not repay evil for evil. Do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. Do not take revenge. Leave room for God's wrath. If your enemy is hungry and thirsty, feed him and give him something to drink. Overcome all evil with good. That's not what I learned in high school. <laughs> if I went along with what my friends said, it was you get them back. You do seek out revenge. You do meet evil with evil. But God shows us there's a different way. And if it seems like it's really hard to live this different way, it's because it is. It'll cost us something. It'll cost us our pride, our ego, maybe our circle of friends, maybe even our status. It is costly. Just look at the saints who've gone before us. At Jesus' invitation to live transformed, fishermen dropped their nets. Children and, children and siblings left families and towns and everything they knew behind. And what happened? The sick were healed. 
The blind were given sight. The captives were set free. The good news was shared. The hungry were fed. The bread of life and the thirsty were given living water. Names were changed as identities were transformed completely through the grace they had received from Jesus rather than continuing to conform to the world around them. And that same Jesus who turned water into wine can transform our lives as well. The same Jesus who transformed the cross, a symbol of death and suffering into a sign of victory and hope, can transform our communities as well. And by God's grace, with the power of the Holy Spirit, transformed minds and transformed churches will see a world transformed too. So all that remains is this question. Will you allow Jesus to transform you? Amen.